two weeks ago, I shared a word with you about um, if you seek him, he will find you. And I believe that that's true. Not only if you seek him, uh, or as he said, if you will find me if you seek me uh, with your whole heart, but rather even this, that when we feel like our prayers can't make it past the roof, we still chase after him, but it just seems like he is uh, too hard to find, as it were. That we, we know he's here, we know he's near, but we can't see or sense his presence. That the Bible is clear that if you seek him, even in those moments when emotion makes it seem not so productive, that if you'll seek him, he will find you. Shared the story about the woman who pushed through a crowd just to touch the essence of who he was. And he took note to that fact. Um, or a Zacchaeus up in a tree. Then last week, though, so so honestly, and this is why I referenced that, but it's an important point to make, that that really was about this. That Sunday, I knew that God said to come and advocate for us, for you, for me, to come to him. And inasmuch, even as there have been a lot of things that have transpired from last Sunday to this Sunday, even in this body, I again would just remind you that Jesus just says this, come to me. Come to me. Whatever it is that you have, good, bad, or in between, come to me. That was the call of the Lord today, even in this worship set. Come come to me. I'm your source. I'm your solution. I'm your help. But then last week, even as a follow-up to that word, just chatted this out, that there's grace for that. Whatever, again, uh, that whatever season or situation, there's grace for that. And that we get to choose grace. We get to choose grace over frustration and or anger or in the middle of difficulty. Uh, we There's grace for that. We can choose grace. And interestingly enough, and, and we've talked about this many times here in Dwelling Place, but the root word for grace is the word charis. We get the word charisma or a lot of people will name their kids Carissa is a great name. Um, but there's another word that shares the same root that we use a lot and we talk about a lot in Christendom. It's an incredibly important fruit of the Spirit, actually, even from Galatians 5. But the word joy actually comes from the same root word as the word grace. I don't know if you knew that. And this morning I want to chat to you about choosing joy. I know that that's not always easy. I feel like for three Sundays in a row, I've come in here to say to you that there was a choice for you to make. And I've always, in each situation, had to say, now, I know that's not always easy. Now, part of where that qualification comes from is is Karen. Because she will remind me. She'll say, you know, you make that sound so easy. And But as Jesus said to the disciples, these things do not come about without much prayer. <laughs> And even in some cases, fasting. But I would say to you that this is not a get happy word. Because I can make that sound real easy. You just got to get happy. Put on your happy face. Put on your smiley face. You know, I, I, I mean, I can chat that out with you. We could go all Pollyanna on it. You know what I'm saying? As a reference to an old Disney movie and about two thirds of the crowd have no idea what I'm talking about. But, and I like Pollyanna, by the way. I don't think there's anything wrong with choosing a gladitude over a batitude. I think that's good medicine. But that's not what I'm talking about today. Because, again, there are moments when there's nothing you can do to make yourself happy. You're in the middle of something that's just not happy. And, in fact, you can't choose, you really can't choose at the end of it happy or sad. But you can choose joy. 
Because there's grace for that. And in fact, I would say to you that when you choose grace, what we talked about last week, when you choose to embrace the God that is there in every moment for you, because Jesus shows up with what you need for each moment, circumstance, situation. And when you choose him, you've chosen grace. And when you choose that grace, you can have joy. Yeah, it's a good place for an amen. When you choose grace. Now, if you don't choose that grace, good luck on having joy. Again, you might feign happy, at least for a moment. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I can get my mind off stuff. That's why folks, you know, pick up a bottle and drink more than they should. Hey, that's, that's, we, we inoculate ourselves with all sorts of things. You can do that with television and food and all sorts of things. You know, I just need some. And ain't nothing wrong with chilling. Don't hear me wrongly. But I'm saying when life goes hard, that won't work. But grace still does. I'm saying that even in those moments, you can have joy. In fact, I believe it's our destiny. Rather, even I know it is. As Paul wrote, the joy of the Lord actually is my strength. Now, if I lose my joy, I lose my strength. And I won't bear fruit, right? Don't grow weary in doing well or doing good. For in due season, if you do not faint, you will reap. Now, the word happy, just for the record here, actually comes from the root word that actually is the same root word that produces the word happenstance or circumstance. So happy is actually based on circumstance. Just to make the point clear for you, though, joy is not based on circumstance. Joy is a manifestation of what you believe about who Jesus is. I don't know if I can. I just made that up. Joy is a manifestation about what you believe about who Jesus is. I don't know how you're going to write that part down. Yeah, extra S's. Seriously, it's in knowing who he is. Then that there's something in us, even in those moments of incredible desperation. Or unbelievable distractedness that can anchor us to truth and keep our hearts set in a place of of joy. However, here's an obvious reality. Something is busy robbing us of our joy. I mean, look around. Because where's the joy? I mean, we're his children. He's our faithful father. But where is the joy? Clearly, something is missing. And in fact, I would like to say the peace and the joy. I mean, they're slightly different, but much the same. They kind of go together like water and wet. Or at the very least, like peanut butter and jelly. They're very close. Certainly similar. And we're meant to be people of peace. My peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives peace, which is based on happenstance, circumstance. Right? Deep peace and joy are destiny, but something's been robbing us. So this morning, I want to talk about just a few things, quickly. And I can't afford to preach a ten-point word, so I'm just going to have to make some bullets here. Because I want to give to you the top ten most common joy thieves this morning. We're going to kind of take this from a a unique or different kind of perspective. And I want us to chat about the things then that very well may have robbed us of our joy. Because, you know, they got lists like this everywhere. You know, you can actually find the top ten most common stolen cars. They got a list for that. Two of the top three are Escalades. Just saying. And two of the top four are Ford F-350s. Crew cabs and super cabs. I don't know. I don't even know why I told you that. 
Just random, useless information. Just throwing it out there. But this top, this top ten list is important, so pay attention to it. Number ten on the top ten most common joy thieves. Cynicism. You know, something pushes us towards cynicism, even in the church. I mean, we, we, will, we will believe, even when things are good, that they won't stay that way. We'll just become cynical. We, we won't hope in people. Sometimes we lose our hope in people. If they haven't let us down yet, they're going to. We become skeptical. We become the cynic. And there are even people who will say that. They'll say, well, (laughs) I mean, I have people say this to me consistently. I'm just trying to cast some vision, have some hope. And they'll say, well, I'll just be honest with you. I'm by nature very cynical. Uh, Okay, let's stop and pray. (laughs) You know, because that's not who we're meant to be. Again, hear me, I'm not trying to be Pollyanna here, but we serve a real God who loves us and is for us. We have every right and reason to expect God to come through. Not that life will always go well. How many weeks in a a row will I quote this scripture? In this world you will have trouble. Probably several. But be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. Our hope is in Jesus. He's our brand. And then some, right? He's who we believe in. He's where our, our life is. He is in whom our life is anchored. Second Peter 3, 9. Though we will become impatient. We'll say, yeah, but I've been waiting on that promise of God. I've been waiting on that thing to happen or to come true. But Peter wrote this. He said, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise. As some count slowness. But he is patient towards you. Man, don't ever rush God. Just a little FYI. If you were to be able to talk him into hurrying, it would not go well for you. What am I waiting on God? God, you're not waiting on God. God's waiting on us. He is not slow, as some count slowness, but is patient. He's being patient. Not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Number nine on the top ten most common joy thieves is judging. Ooh, bad idea. A lot of teaching about that, a lot of scripture about that. I won't take much time here. But suffice it to say, Jesus himself said in Matthew chapter 7, Judge not that you be not judged. For with the same judgment you pronounce, you will yourself be judged. With that measure, with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And in James 4, James, the brother of Jesus, said, Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. Which is ironic because before uh, the crucifixion and resurrection of Christ, James, who was Jesus' brother, didn't believe Jesus was a Messiah. I'm sure there was some criticism in that. Who do you think you are, the Messiah? Oh, boy. Yeah, but when he caught on. He said, The one who speaks against the brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law... You're not a doer of the law, but a judge. And there's only actually one lawgiver and judge, which was his brother Jesus. Romans chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore, you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself. But I'm telling you, here's what you need to know. Not only is it wrong, is it something Jesus was very clear about. Don't go around putting judgments on people saying, you know, that guy or that lady. There's one thing to have discernment, right? And understanding and to sort out what is true. And we do that under the covering of counsel and authority, right? One with another. But to go around wishing things wouldn't go well for someone so you can have that, ah, I knew it. Hmm. 
I'm saying guard your heart against such things. And on top of that, on top of that, there will always be that nag, that, that, that voice that says to you that you yourself are unworthy. You who will judge others unworthy will always find yourself before God unworthy as well. But those of us who would just say, whew, thank you God for grace, can walk in peace and have joy. Don't judge. Number eight on the top ten most common joy thieves is bitterness and unforgiveness, which is very similar to the aforementioned judgment, but somewhat different because it may very well be that someone did something to you. And if you discern and sort that out, they were just wrong. There's no judgment in that. It's just a discernment. That was wrong. And we can see that and we can even say that. But then we forgive that. That's something. You know, one of the saddest things to me is to see someone be right and handle it wrongly. I'd rather see someone be wrong and handle it rightly. To be wrong and to repent is much better than to be right and to be arrogant and judgmental and unforgiving. Because in his eyes, that's the worst kind of wrong. Because he who is forgiven much, or as he said to us, he who has been forgiven much, that's all of us. Don't be that guy. Don't be that guy that owed the king and couldn't pay and was forgiven and then goes out and shakes someone else down. Come on, y'all. Bitterness and unforgiveness. Not only is it wrong, but it's a joy, a joy thief. We will actually sometimes say, I can't stand that person. I don't like so-and-so. I can never forgive them because. There is no because. And I know that this is true, that forgiveness is a choice. And it's a decision we make. It's a decision on our part that we make in obedience to what God has said. And in, in fact, of course, again, the Bible says, forgive as the Lord has forgiven you. Colossians 3.13, bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Or Luke chapter 6, verse 37, again, judge not and you will not be judged. Condemn not and you will not be condemned. And here's the passage for this point. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Good word. I tell the story here often. I'll tell it again without regret. Of Clara Barton, the founder of the American Red Cross. And she was said to have had a conversation with a lady who apparently at some point in the past she had had a problem. And that lady had been really hard on her and, and actually defamed her character and various other things. And, and, but she's at a, an event and she's having a conversation with this lady. And her assistant is standing next to her, becomes indignant for her because they're having this, this good conversation. And then after that lady had walked away, her assistant said to her, I cannot believe you stood there and talked to that lady in that way. That you were, don't, that's the lady. That's the lady who said all those things about you. Tried to destroy you. Don't you remember that? To which she replied, I distinctly remember forgetting that. Because bitterness and unforgiveness are wrong. And they are joy thief. First, Corey Tim Boom, who spent time in a Nazi concentration camp during the Holocaust, said, Forgiveness is to set a prisoner free and to realize that that prisoner is you. If you're carrying some unforgiveness or bitterness this morning and you wonder why you don't have joy. Number seven on the top ten most common joy thieves is loneliness. 
It's a hard thing to be lonely. Sometimes we can feel lonely in a crowd of people. And when that's true, we know that the source of said loneliness is separation from the heart of God. No amount of fellowship can fix that, except fellowship with the Father. Sometimes we feel lonely. We frustrate, too, in that. Usually when we feel lonely, we do the first three. We become cynical about relationships. We judge everybody for not being good enough for us. And we're bitter and unforgiving toward them for it. Loneliness is a big old trap. Now, I'm not saying that everyone that's lonely, that that's their situation. Some of us are significantly cut off. And it's just hard. That's a hard thing. And I will say this to you that on no level would I want for us as a body to abdicate our responsibility to reach out to people. In fact, a constant conversation for us is we need to do a better job of not just looking at each other, because we're already friends, me and Liam, but to actually turn toward the people we don't know yet and make sure we connect. Make an effort to reach out beyond ourselves and see the people who may be there, who maybe don't have so much fellowship. And I want us always to do better at that. I know that that's God's heart for us as a, as a body, as a family, but we don't always do so well. It's not because we don't want to, but I'll, I'll say this to you, that nobody knows your need like you do. In other words, when you need fellowship, you could too also reach out for it. That'd be okay, wouldn't it? If, if you were at your house alone, you happen to be alone at home, and something catastrophic happened to you physically and you needed an ambulance ride, you know, would you just complain that no one was there to call or would you get on the phone? Me, I would dial 911. Hey, can you come get me? I'll be the one laying on the floor. Again, I'm not trying to abdicate our responsibility, but I'm asking you, don't let loneliness rob you of your joy. Reach out to somebody. Maybe you'll have to be more persistent than you should have to be, but do it anyway. Please. Let's show each other grace and mercy. And let's be friends. Let's be family. Because loneliness is its not necessary. And it's a joy thief. But Jesus at the end said this. And hear what I say is so. He said, fear not for nobody will ever let you down. And then what he said, y'all. He said, fear not for I am with you. Do not be dismayed for I am your God. The church isn't your God. Right, right, right. Life group leader, not your God. The pastor, not you. I am your God. And even in a place where we want to do well, that always is necessary to remember. He said, I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Now, don't get cynical and say, okay, well, I just need God. Forget all you people. I got God. That's all I need. That's not what I said. But I'm saying to you, as Betsy Boom said, you can get cut off in a foxhole, but you can't get cut off in a hellhole because he will always be there. Always be there. That's Corey's sister. I saw that question. Number six on the top ten most common joy thieves. The past. Ooh, that can be a heavy weight. You know, sometimes we carry our past like, man, this is something we should let go of a long time ago. But we're And the problem with carrying your past around is it gets heavier every day. You know what I'm saying? I mean, my past was pretty hectic when I was ten, but not really. And I was 20, and I made a few more, you know, and it was getting a little hard. And now I'm 45. 
And in a minute, I'm going to add another birthday. And if I was still carrying everything I ever did, I'm pretty sure I couldn't walk anymore. You got to let that go. And the past is it's a joy thief. Like, you could have the best today, but if you're still carrying yesterday, what if? I wish I could have. I wish they would have. I should have. I wish I had never. Whatever that is, you know, past failures or hurts or disappointments. If you consistently say, remember when? Yeah, I remember when God was faithful. Came through and redeemed that. If we would let him. That's what I remember. You know, we quote Jeremiah 29, 11 way too much. I kind of stay away from it probably just for that reason. Maybe I shouldn't. But what if it said this? But it don't. But what if it said for, I knew the plans I had for you, declares the Lord, but then you messed them all up. (laughs) Oh, that would be a sad day right there, though. (laughs) But that's not what it says. For I know the plans I have for you. The past will come and try to lie to you and tell you you have no future. And rob you of all your joy of living today. But Jesus says, through the psalmist in Psalm 40 verse 5, Many, O Lord my God, are the wonders you have done. That's the best way to look at the past. Just look at what he has done. Not what you have done. Good, bad, or in between. I mean, we'll... Stay looking in the past. Remember when I was I was a great college football player? Or I did that thing. Remember that one time when I made an A? <laughs> Some of you can remember that one time. <laughs> Some of us are. Never mind. I made some A's. I'm kidding. Many, O oh Lord, my God, are the wonders you have done. The things you planned for us, no one can recount to you. Were I to speak and tell of them, they would be too many to declare. Isn't that exciting to know? That's what he says to you about you. Number five, we're into the uh, we're into the top five. You know what I'm saying? This is the heavy duty stuff right here. Number five on the top ten most common joy thieves is complaining. I know I don't have to tell you that that will rob you of your joy, but complaining that's a bad idea. If you want to have peace and joy in your life, you know, and you decide to get up every morning and talk yourself out of it, my life stinks. Or nation, burr, burr, burr. we'll complain about, you know, the news. We're watching, whip. just turn that off if that's how that works for you. You know what I'm saying? I mean, we just, and the spirit of complaining, man, it will jump on you and it will rob you of your joy. But yet Paul wrote in Philippians 2.14, most believe from a Roman prison when he wrote Philippians. And in 2.14, here's what he said. He said, do all things without grumbling or questioning. Without complaining. That dude was walking in some serious grace. Holy Ghost too. That's a good answer as well. Holy Ghost grace. Ephesians 4.29. Let no corrupting talk or complaining talk come out of your mouths. But only such as is good for building up. As fits the occasion. That it may give grace to those who hear it. Or James 5.9. Do not grumble against one another brothers. So that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. Or Numbers 11, 1 through 4. And the people complained in the hearing of the Lord about their misfortunes. And when the Lord heard it, listen to this passage of Scripture. This is important. Now, I know this is Old Covenant, and thank God that it is. 
But it says that the people complained in the hearing of the Lord about their misfortunes. How do you not complain in the hearing of the Lord? Just out of curiosity. <laughs> he hears everything. Okay, just want to make sure you knew that. And when the Lord heard it, his anger was kindled, and the fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed some of the outlying parts of the camp. Maybe this would be that one place where it would be funny if the Old Covenant came back just for a second, and I do not mean that in Jesus' name. But some of us would lose our garage. Our storage building is history. Because we're sitting at the dinner table complaining. (laughs) Never mind, I'm really blessed. (laughs) I'm going to guess that got their attention. Stop complaining! I think it hurts his heart, honestly. I do. I think complaining must hurt his heart. I know for me, you know, in my house, I don't do it all well, but we try. We try to make a safe place for the dudes and dudettes that live there and that kind of thing. And I don't mind busting my behind. But if someone were complaining about that, you know what I'm saying? They don't, by the way. we got a really grateful crew. <laughs> I appreciate that. But I can't even imagine what that would be like. I know what it's like as a parent, but I can't imagine what that must be like for God. And it's a joy thief. It robs us of our joy. Blessed is the man who knows he's blessed. You should put that on your fridge. All right. Number four on the top ten most common joy thieves. We're getting there. Or just problems. You know, trouble. Good old-fashioned problems, trouble. I mean, they will step in and rob you of your joy. And, and in some way, Ron, seems to me most legitimately. I mean, I can understand how a tragedy can definitely knock your breath out. I get that. I mean, again, you talk about circumstance when when life goes south on you, when the job gets lost, when when the bill comes in, when there's even something more significant than that. There's frustration or or like some of you face this week, just straight up tragedy, just significant loss. I mean, it's it's amazing. But in this fallen world, problems and frustration and trouble These everyday experiences that we face can rob us of our joy in a minute. You know what I'm saying? I mean, a quick minute. We can be in this place of, and then you never know. You go around the very next corner and poof. And they can they can rob us of our joy to the degree sometimes that we never get it back. I consistently make the joke that if Moses were to come down from Mount Sinai today, the two tablets he'd be carrying would probably be aspirin. You know what I'm saying? Because we got so many problems. Bunch don't like to tell jokes, but it's true because problems. You know, sometimes we think this, that life's most consistent reality are problems. But I'll say this to you, that that's not actually true. Life's only real constant is the love of God. And that's what we build on. I said life's only real constant is the love of God. And we build on that so that even when we face trouble, or tragedy, or disappointment, problems, as it were, in this world you will have. We can believe, right? Because, again, we do face we pain. I was just thinking when I was working through this this morning, that pain, some of the problem that some of you face is just pain. You just hurt, maybe physically. I mean, I think of some of the pain that people have endured. I myself face a significant amount of pain and certainly lately a significant resurgence of pain. I know that you've dealt with a lot of pain. There are a lot of people in the body. Sister Phyllis Peachy back there is a hero. 
hero. Consistently here and full of joy. I know she's not always happy. I never hear that lady complain. How does she do that? Because she built on something that don't move when the rain comes and when the wind blows. Because that, my friend, will happen. Sometimes the storms are so hectic. They're like the perfect storm. But they will not move the rock. Does not change our hope. Some of us have emotional pain. And again, even face tragedy. And I know that this is true. And I hope I put my hope in this. But I know this, that God does healings on both sides of eternity. And I'm believing for some physical healing and certainly for absolutely for emotional healing and freedom. Freedom is definitely our destiny. Karen was pointing that out to me this week. She said, look, of all the things that are non-negotiable in God's word, one is freedom. We're absolutely meant to be free. I told you a story, a tragic story a couple of weeks ago about a guy that was in Zambia. His name is Graham. He's the guy from Ireland. And he actually took Karen and I to the airport. He was, uh, a couple of days after we had come back, he was he had picked up a couple of translators. You may remember this story, a couple of Wycliffe Bible translators at Kioma. He was bringing them back to Mongu. Uh, a seven-year-old girl ran in front of his truck in a very tragic, unavoidable way. She was hit and killed. Just a devastating event. Graham is a super-duper dude. And just been incredibly heavy. There was even the potential for uh, litigation and all that kind of thing. But even the parents of the daughter, just in a miraculous extension of grace, a couple of days later were able to come to him and, and advocate for his innocence and, and shook his hand and said, it's not your fault and we know it's not your fault. And, and they were Christians, which isn't so common. And so they believed that their daughter was with Jesus and that he had done healing for her on the other side. But I know you're with me in this, that we wish... And hope for those moments when that side becomes this side. And and you know what? We're praying about how God, how we are meant to see a release of healing in this body. And if anyone thinks that there's anyone who wants to see that any more than me, I don't know. We shouldn't do comparisons. I already got corrected on that once this morning. But I think we all, we all want to see that. We want to see, we want to see that work that way and I'll be remiss if I didn't admit that I don't understand all there is to understand about that I just have to be honest in that and I know that God's redeeming that situation with that seven-year-old little girl but just then this week on Wednesday Lori came in I was meeting with with actually Papa John McDermott and and Jim Newell and we were chatting some things about men's fellowship for 2012 and blah 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 and Tulio was there and and Lori comes comes in and she said that she had just gotten a text from Bree and Bree is uh, one of the young ladies that's from Louisiana that's actually at the Zambia Project now. And, of course, um, Rose is there, Rose Kugel. And Rose and Bree and a couple of other folks were riding with James uh, in a truck, a four-door truck on their way to church. And there was a little boy standing around on the side of the road, just, just right there on the side of the road. James is one of the most conscientious drivers you could ever ride with, I'm sure, in western Zambia. But just at the very last moment, the little boy ran point blank in front of the truck. Again. Nothing like this has ever happened in the nine or so years that they've been there. And then twice in less than two weeks, Bree jumped out. James jumped out. They I mean, literally ran over him because they weren't going so fast to knock him forward. And, and Bree looked under the truck and it was, a, it was just a devastating scene. He was badly broken. Don't mean to be gratuitous here, 
with the description, but he was bleeding and badly broken, mangled even. And they, a bunch of people came and took him and from, you know, all over, just ran over. And so they had to actually just go straight to the police station. Bree got back in the ride and she started praying for him to be healed. And James essentially corrected her and said, Bree, he's dead. So they were just praying. In fact, Lori, I thought, prayed one of the most beautiful prayers. She prayed that we had nothing to go on but that he was dead. That's what we had for six hours. And she just prayed that God would redeem it. She said, God, I know, just heal this family, hold this family and redeem it because Hope Church in Mongu is the parent church for all these church plants that we've been partnering with in Western Zambia. God, do something in Mongu out of this. You know, do something miraculous. And Papa John just said, Lord, just if he's dead, just bring him back to life. And I pray that prayer consistently. I don't know how faithfully or how full of faith. I pray it faithfully. I'm not sure how full of faith, but I pray, God, if they hadn't been embalmed yet, I don't know why. I probably should just pray period i'm thinking lord resurrect them before they get to the and i pray that you know because i know i believe that god can do that but then we got word about six hours later they had to go to the police station they finally were released from that they took everybody back to the base paul caught up them with james paul's the lead missionary at the zambia project he's spoken in this church paul and james then went to the hospital and uh, maybe a couple of others and they found the little boy alive i'm just saying sometimes a part of the hope we have is that he does healings on both sides of eternity and that he's still God. And, and we don't know how this is going to go, but we know that God is our hope and our help. And we trust in him. And I'm going to keep that hope and I'm going to find my joy. I found him still alive. Uh, probably not predicted to make it. Again, seriously wounded, significantly broken. Catherine, one of the girls that's there as well, one of the students, she had prayed. She literally said she felt like she heard God say that by the morning he would be conscious and speaking. Though that seemed completely improbable from any physical perspective. They went back to the base and ten minutes later they got a word that he was conscious and speaking. Because sometimes, church, you know, we the, Philip Yancey wrote a book called Rumors of Another World. Because he talked about how in this fallen world, we still deal with these struggles and challenges. But one day Jesus is going to come back and set it straight. But it's not like he's absent now. He's here and he's active and he's able. And that rumor becomes a reality. And that whisper, that echo becomes an audible voice. And God speaks more importantly than into our situation. He speaks into our hearts and into our existences. And sometimes... People get completely and radically, tremendously healed. Because then the word came back that they took the little boy for a full body scan. And he had no injuries. And they were sending him home tomorrow. <laughs> we did get word that he was really sore. So, pray for his soreness. Hey, guys, says this. But now be strong. Declares the Lord, be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehoshadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord, for I am with you. That's the bottom line, isn't it? That's why we have hope. For I am with you, declares the Lord. But how? How can we be strong? Timothy heard from Paul these words, Then you then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And number three, and I am almost done. Number three on the top ten most common joy thieves is worry and anxiety. Complaining is a joy thief. 
the problems and issues that life throws at us can rob us of our joy. We may not can change our circumstance, but we can certainly give God the response to our circumstance. We can trust him for the grace to walk through that. Then there's always, though, that place where we just worry. Anxiety. You know what I'm saying? I talk to you about this sometimes, but you know that moment when you seem to have been around it in the middle of the day, but in the dark of the night, when the world goes quiet, and maybe that thought comes into your head, that concern about a situation or something. Maybe it's one of these things I mentioned today. Maybe it's something from the past. Maybe it's something that's dead ahead in your future, and it's intimidating, and you break out in anxiety sweats. You know, you just feel flush, and you, your heart's doing that thing that it does, and then you, you feel like, how can I handle this? And do, is there any witness in the house of the Lord? And, and there are people, again, that will say, there are people who will speak that over themselves. They'll say, well, my mama was a worrier. You know what? That, I believe that that curse can be broken. I don't believe that worry is our destiny. I know we have to have a, a right and responsible kind of concern. And I understand that sometimes the difference between the two is a pretty narrow margin. Okay? Let's just be honest and call it what it is. That sometimes is a pretty narrow margin. But when we begin to feel that panic and that anxiety, it is time to get on our knees and pray. Because panic is not our destiny. When someone has a a major problem and they voice that to me, the first thing that I will want to address is their panic or their anxiety. Let's deal with that. Let's back up here and settle ourselves down on who he is. Then we can discern. Then we can hear. Then we can deal. Worry and anxiety will rob us of our joy and our discernment. And that's not God for us. Proverbs 12.25 says this, An anxious heart weighs a man down. It's true. As a heavy weight. And and it creates this fear in us. It creates a scenario if you if worry and anxiety are common and constant for you, then fear will become a default reaction to almost everything. Everything will make you feel afraid. You'll just be afraid. You won't even know why you're afraid. You're just afraid. And I'll admit, again, there's a lot in the world to be afraid of. I mean, you never know what's going to happen, right? The little chicken little, the sky's falling, the sky's falling. But I'm not chicken little. Come on, somebody. I preached that in 2009. I'm not chicken little. And the sky's not falling. Psalm 34.4 I sought the Lord and He heard me and delivered me. Did you hear that? I sought the Lord and he heard me, BJ, and delivered me from all my fears. You say, dude, never in all my life have I heard a word more laced with just pure, unapologetic optimism. you like the most optimistic dude. Well, first of all, I'm be careful that you're not putting judgments. <laughs> Secondly, I don't really consider that much of an insult. And thirdly, I'm not being optimistic. I'm believing what the Bible says is so. I'm being hopeful. I'll say it to you this way. You don't have to deny the darkness to believe in the light.
You hear me? I ain't trying to be optimistic. I'm saying you don't have to deny the darkness. It's there. It's real. Bad things really do happen to good people. Consistently. But constantly God is faithful. Thank you. Romans 15, 13, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that you may abound in the hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Can I read that again? May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in, in believing so that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Or, of course, Philippians 4, 6, and 7. In everything through prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God which passes human understanding, will literally place a guard over your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. It's a promise. 1 Peter 5, 6, and 7. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, and He may lift you up in due time, or that He may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety or cares on Him, are you going to do that? Because He cares for you. Worry and anxiety are not our destiny. Number two. I'm getting there. I had to cover ten points today, people. Number two on the top ten most common joy thieves is unrepentant sin. You know what? You might can fool everybody, but you can't fool you or God. If there's unrepentant sin in your life, it will rob you of your joy. It just will. That's the place where you come to God. He says, lay aside every sin and wait. Lay aside every sin and wait. If you're sitting in the house of the Lord today, in just a moment, I'm going to give you an opportunity to just come lay something down. Maybe you've done that before. Do it again. Repent again. Bring it back to Him again. Trust Him with it. Again. Because peace and joy are your destiny. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are made new. And then number one, on the top ten most common joy thieves. This one's pretty obvious. Is absence from the presence of God. Do you know you could get the other nine right? And if you weren't hanging tight with Jesus, you still wouldn't have peace and joy. And you don't have to remember any of the rest, but if you really hang tight with Jesus, it'll take care of all the others. I know, you're thinking, why didn't you just preach that one? That's a fair question. I don't really know. Absence from the presence of God guarantees you a deficiency of peace. An absence of joy. The psalmist wrote in Psalm 1611, In your presence is fullness of joy. You know why I'm so happy about that, Jane? Because I can do that. I mean, some of the rest of it, I'll be like, Oh, did I miss number seven? Oh, wait. If I do what... God said do two weeks ago. Which was. Come to me. 
If I do that, the Lord will sort this out in me. Because in his presence is. Jesus said in John 15 verses 4 through 11, he goes on this incredible exposition about if you abide in me, you'll bear much fruit. If you abide in me, you'll be my disciples. As in verse 9, as my father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love, he says. And then he says this, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. That's the most important commandment is abide in his love. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Hang tight and love your neighbor. And he says this in verse 11. He said, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you. If you abide in me, my joy will remain in you. And your joy will be full. Acts 2.28. And I'm done. It says, you have made known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy. Where? In your presence. Came here this morning. Whew, I bit off a big chunk, Jeff. Ah, right before Thanksgiving, too. To advocate. I wanted to advocate this morning for joy. I want us to have joy. Not because everything's perfect. But in spite of the fact that it's not. I want you to have joy. We were meant and made for that. So God, I pray this morning. As we come up out of here, Lord, that... Yeah, Lord, just challenge our hearts today. Lord, that... God, we wouldn't continue to walk in a pattern of peacelessness. That we wouldn't let our journey be joyless because of the ways we act and interact with our circumstance. But rather, God, that we'd surrender all these things to you, that we would hang tight with you, Jesus, that we would look into your word because joy is a product of truth. We know that that's true, that when we walk in grace, that we believe when we believe in who you are, Jesus, that that joy is manifested in our lives, Jesus. And this too, God, let it be the strongest testimony to our world to our family during this holiday season where we'll have interactions, I'm sure, with people who don't know you, God. Let it not be that our lives are perfect. Let that not be the testimony because that wouldn't have to be fake. But rather, God, let it be that in spite of or in conjunction with whatever the case may be, our circumstance or situation, we have joy. That that's our testimony. That that's our truth. That that's our reality. I pray for some hurting hearts today. I pray for some people who have suffered significant loss even this week, God, that somehow miraculously you turn as the writer of Isaiah wrote, Lord, that you turn our mourning into gladness. That you bring joy, Jesus, in every situation in that. God, I pray for some who are just walking through hurtful and hard relationships that today, God, there's hope in that and healing in that and patience in that. In Jesus' name. I'm going to let you go. Mitch is going to come up here. Come up here for a second and finish this out. Don't turn your mic off while you're in the middle of a sentence. Because that's what I just did. See how? Yeah, that's cool. Mitch, you're going to want that one. I think Bibles aren't my thing either, but the reality is it's still the Word. Sure, so, sure. You know. Right, right. But uh, I just want to read Isaiah 61. He just quoted a part of that. 
because I think it, that there's a serious call to this today that the Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me to preach good news to the poor, to, to, to take the brokenhearted and to proclaim freedom for the captives, release from darkness, darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. And part of that is even this. And provide for all those, this is what he wants to do, provide for all those who grieve in Zion uh, to comfort all who mourn, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of gladness, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the for the display of his splendor. And I just felt like the Lord was just continuing to reiterate that that's that's a scripture that we can hold on to. That's a place that that's the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on on the, the ministry of Jesus. And I hope the ministry of Jesus is in this place because that's what I believe. And if the, this is the ministry of Jesus, this is what the call is. That he can take ashes and give us beauty and oil and bestow on us the oil of gladness. So I just want to declare that some of you might need just to receive that oil of gladness today or oil. Of, uh, uh, I just want you to come for it and get prayer. Just ask. And he was saying that part of his us, I want everybody to come and know what I'm going through. But part of it's saying, stepping out saying, I need you to pray. And I need you just, just to agree with me. So. Yeah, so let's do that. If you got to go, you'll be free to do that. But actually, someone brought, they had heard God this week to bring to life group. Uh, Laura Dean had brought to one of their life group meetings. Uh, yeah, it's just uh, olive oil. You know, we anoint people with oil. But she had written on there in advance of this service, joy. <laughs> yeah. She had no idea what was going down today. Or then again, maybe she did. She just didn't get it from us. So I want to say to you this morning, just before I let you go, if you're here this day, and you would just say, you know what, I want someone to pray joy into my life. And we're literally going to just anoint you with oil. I don't think there's anything but God in that for us. We're just going to anoint you this morning with the oil of joy, of gladness, as it were. And just believe God to restore that in your life. If you're struggling with peace, there's just a place where there's just not peace or joy. Or maybe, you know what, in light of what you've endured, you're doing well, but you'd still like prayer. Then I'm going to ask you right now. I'm not going to do the raise hands or whatever. I'm just going to ask you. I don't care if it's two or if it's 200. I'm going to ask you to just come find a place and stand across this front. I'm going to ask elders and ministry leaders to come and just prepare to pray for people. I'm going to ask you to just come stand across this front and face, face this front. And we're going to pray for you this morning. If you're heading out, happy Thanksgiving. Be blessed.